You know what's interesting is I'm here. Hunter, most Sundays, I feel like, wow, the, the music just fits where we want to go with the sermon. And, to, and today, I'm like, that's not where the sermon's going. And then I realized it was where my heart was. Man, you just hit me where my heart is today. That's what I needed to hear this morning as we get into this day. And I hope that's the case for you guys, too. <clears throat> One of the most important things about coming to church on Sunday morning is doing our best to repair our hearts to see Jesus here and to hear his voice. And um, I know that's not always easy. Uh, even as the preacher, there are times that, um, that I just get up and I, you know, and I'm like, Lord, I, I, I don't even want to hear your word today, let alone preach it sometimes. And it's that constant battle of, of getting ready to say, you know what, Lord, you have chosen, you've called me and you've called this church out from among the, the world to meet with us today. And yes, the Father's meeting with congregations all over Fresno and all over California and all over the world. Yet, even though he's meeting with probably hundreds of thousands of congregations around the world, he's still with us right here today. And I think that's really important for us to remember that we are walking to the presence of the God universe. All right, I don't know, did I just... Okay, am I good still? All right. You know, the tech team was complaining about I walk around too much. Maybe they're just trying to get me to stay in one place right now. So, all right. You know, today is going to be, I, I, this is odd. I, I'm preaching more different kinds of sermons. I mean, really, my sermons, generally speaking, if you look at the sermons I've preached over my life, it's generally basically the old, almost a cliche kind of, kind of preacher thing. Joke, point, point, point you know, invitation. That's, you know, been about it. And, and I'm doing a little bit different stuff this time. And this week we're going to have a, a little bit different sermon also because we are talking about launching our small groups this week. And, uh, and we've been pushing that pretty hard. And um, so we're going to talk today about gathering together. And it's interesting. Um, I probably shouldn't say this since we're online, but this is like probably the lowest attendance we've seen since I've been here today. Um, but that's okay. That's all right. That's part of where, like I say, the, the worship songs help me that. You're going like, God's got this. He's worthy. He's going to handle all this. So, but, um, we're, so we're going to be, <clears throat> remember that color is where we're going today, but we are going to look into the scripture. We're going to pick back up first in the, the, the book of Acts, where we finished last time. We were at the end of the book of Acts. And so we're going to pick up very the last, not end of the book of Acts, end of chapter five, sorry. So we're going to pick up with the last three verses in chapter five. Got them here on the screen for you. It's talking about, remember that Peter and the apostles are there in the presence of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. And it says, they, being the ruling council, flogged the apostles and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And that's sort of where we ended, but there's this last sentence there at the end of chapter 5 that says this, And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the appointed one. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word today, Father, we just want to understand what you said to your people of that day and what that means to us. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit might be working hard in our lives right now to help us understand your word. And Father, throughout this week, to apply it to our lives. 
so that we can serve you better and love you more because of your service to us and your love for us that you showed through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Now as we focus on this last verse, I see two places where the early church worshipped and gathered together. The first place was in the temple. And that was now wasn't in the temple like in a meeting room like we have today because you didn't have worship services in the temple. So it meant in the courtyards or the, you hear in the book of Acts about them being at Solomon's portico, which was like a just a colonnade, a little place where people could gather outside. So they would meet outside visibly at the temple. And that was one of the places. But the other places they met were in houses, from house to house. And we're going to look at those two places today. So uh, let's, let's focus on that first one. Uh, well, as we, as we come back to that, hold on, let's just talk for a moment. As we look at this first one here, you know that our church, like every church, has dropped in attendance some during COVID. Before COVID, most people who worshipped at church worshipped at church, or at the, we call it the church, we know that this building is not the church, but, but at the place that we've designated our current version of the temple, most people who worshipped, worshipped right here in this room. That's what they did. And then when COVID hit, every church went virtual, and now you can find thousands and thousands of church services online. And as I've said before, you can find better preachers than me. You can find better looking preachers than me. You can find exactly the music that you want, uh, you know, every week if you go look somewhere. And so we haven't seen it, you know, not everybody come back. In fact, now three years after COVID started, we're seeing what people predicted, about 50 to 80% of attendance before COVID. And we're right about there. Now, granted, for us, it's a little bit different because during those three years, we also had several staff resignations. We had people moving out of state or out of town, that kind of thing. So we have other things that have been going on, and we are pastorless right now or don't have a, a full-time, a, a permanent pastor right now. So there's some reasons that we're down, but we're, we're right at probably um, 75% of what you guys were post-COVID, some, somewhere around in there. Um, and I just want to say that we're also seeing signs of people coming back. I can't tell you the number of people I've met as they've walked in the door and I've shook their hand and said, hi, is this your first time here? No, we used to go here about three or four years ago and we just thought we'd come back and take a look and see what's going on now. And so we're seeing that more and more. We're seeing people committing. We're seeing people joining the church. We're seeing people start back in regular attendance. So for a moment, guys, for you here, if you're watching online, I just want to say it's time. It's time to come back. Now, I know there are reasons that people don't want to go to church. Uh, Tom Rayner, who's the author of this book that we're going to be studying in our small group, um, does a lot of church consulting. He's worked with thousands of churches, and he's come up with some of his favorite reasons why people say they don't go to church. He says, these are actual reasons that I have gained from here, and so I just chose some of the choice ones there, okay? How about this one? I can't go to church there because both of my girlfriends go to that church. All right, that's probably a smart Jake, you laughed a lot more at that one than I thought you should have, okay? So I don't know. All right, how about this one? The worship leader pulls up his pants too often. It's distracting. So Hunter, watch that if you're pulling up your pants too much, all right? But if they need to be pulled up, pull them up, okay, please, whatever, all right? All right, this one. My wife cooked bacon for breakfast and our entire family smelled like bacon. Oh my gosh, if you smell like bacon, please come to church. I would love to have you guys here. Please, come on, that would be great. All right, this one, the pastor stays in the Bible too much. You know, I'm, listen, guys, if I ever don't stay in the Bible enough, you guys let me know because that's, you just want to hear what, what somebody else is thinking. We want to hear what God's saying through there. 
Uh, again, these actually says these are actual excuses. We got burned out at church, and we've been taking a break for the past seven years. I actually know of people who said, I got hurt at that church, and it's been three, four years or more since they've been back to church because they said we just needed a break. All right, so I, I do know, I've seen some just like that. This one, the church is too close to drive to, and it's too far to walk. I'm t- just, that's just telling you this one. And I, I doubt this one was our church, but this one, the pastor is too attractive. When I see him preaching, I'm distracted. So I don't think, th- I, th- that was not our church, trust me, okay? And then this one, this had to be a joke, but he swears this is, this is, this is true. I was on my way to church when I noticed that my cell phone said no service, so I went home. Okay, there's some, all right, now I know your level of humor for some of you there, all right? But I realize there's some, there's some, there are some real reasons people might not want to come back to church. And again, I'm not talking to you guys right here. I'm thankful for you guys being here. And some pastors will look at a smaller congregation. By the way, it's not that small. We've got, we're, we're probably, we're down probably 20 people from what we normally are. So, but, but you just notice, and, and some pastors look at that, and we get our, you know, again, it's, it's wrong. But they feel like, oh, if a lot of people come, it's because it was, you know, it's, I'm doing a good job, but if a lot of people don't come, I'm not doing a good job. And uh, I want you to know, when we have a smaller attendance, and again, it's not that much smaller, but it is a little bit smaller, I just want to say it makes me more, even more thankful for you guys, for your faithfulness and your participation and your leadership, your prayers here at the church. So, so that makes me more, even more thankful for you guys. But I realize there's some valid reasons that some people might not want to come back to church. One is safety. I accept that there's some people that just aren't ready to be exposed like this. Um, you know, they say, well, we, we sing, you know, and that's, that spreads germs even more and that kind of thing. Um, and I do understand it. To that, I could just say, if, if that's your fear in coming back to church, please let us know. We'll do everything we can to mitigate it. We want to keep you safe. We really do. However, if you're coming, not coming to church, but you're going to Fresno State football games or you're going to, to, to Grizzlies baseball games, then that doesn't hold a lot of water to me. But if it's really, truly worried about your safety, we'll do everything we can to mitigate that. We want to take care of you. Uh, comfort. And I get this. Your couch at home is probably a lot more comfortable than our chairs here. We've said this before. Um, the pajama- if you're watching at home and you're in your, your pajamas and favorite slippers and stuff, that's a lot more comfortable. Uh, you know, it, nobody's going to, you know, re- your home, nobody notices how many times you go, and go to the restroom or go get coffee or whatever like that. We do get that, that that's... And all I can say to that is, there is a little bit of sacrifice in getting up and coming to church and putting on presentable clothes. You don't have to dress like me. Oh my goodness, we, if you want to come in shorts, that's fine. Guys, if you're wearing shorts, shave your legs, all right, though, or something, okay? But, but just we, again, you guys laugh at the, if you laugh at the silly ones, you get more silly ones, okay? You're, all right. No, but seriously, we, we, we don't care how you dress. We don't care. That's not it. I, you know, I dress like this because because of my background and insecurities and stuff, and I feel like I ought to, you know, look presentable and, and my, you know, make sure everything's buttoned up and that kind of thing. It doesn't have to be that way. That's just me. So you can be comfortable here, and you're going to learn this is a church that loves and accepts you. And you're going to learn how to be comfortable with who you are because we are people who've been forgiven by Jesus and accepted by Jesus, and we know how to accept people. So um, some not coming because of habit. You've simply gotten out of the habit. And that's a pretty lazy excuse, but I do get that. It's been, become normal for some of you to worship online. Um, but all I can say is what's easiest for us to do is not always what's best for us to do.
to be here together where we can see each other face to face and begin to, as we say in Christianese, do life together, it's worth it, it's important. Some have decided not to come back because of spiritual laziness. I know that sounds harsh, but it's, again, it's just gotten too easy. When you're worshiping online, nobody holds you accountable. Nobody challenges you in your spiritual disciplines. Nobody challenges you with your sins that you might be dealing with. It's really, it's really tough, but, when, but yeah, we come here, we will challenge each other with our sinful habits, not in a condemning way, but an encouraging way to help people out. We will encourage one another to grow more, as we're going to see in our, in our passage today. It's really a good place. You can't be spiritually lazy here, but you can begin to grow and become more like Jesus by being a part of what we're doing here. And then the last one I think is one of the most damaging reasons, disconnection. We see that, you know, I, I teach youth ministry classes at a seminary, and one of the things we're talking about with students so much is they are so disconnected now. And we're discovering that more and more. Is that after COVID, our school system in general, students may be a year to two behind right now because of what goes on. And I still see students that come to school and they've got the mask on, not because they're afraid of germs, but it's a part of a way to hide who they are. The mask, the hoodie, the being closed up like this. And we just have learned to be disconnected. You know, like most churches, we have peripheral people who aren't connected yet. Some have drifted away, some to another church. Some have just drifted away from churches altogether. And that's sad. And so these last two reasons are why we're talking about this message today. Spiritual laziness and disconnection, or maybe a little bit of, happy, uh, of, um, of habit. So, um, so we're talking about, this is all about talking about meeting in the temple, meeting together, that's important. But the second place is even more important, that's really the focus of our sermon. All this has been introduction. We're going to get to our real passage today about how the church met from home to home. We're going to look at several passages and focus on just one of them here, but there, there are several verses in the New Testament that indicate that the early church met at homes, in homes at times. Uh, in Acts 2, 46, it says they were breaking bread from house to house, and they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And that br breaking bread also is talking about celebrating the Lord's Supper, communion together. So they were doing that from house to house. In Acts 12, 12, Peter gets out of prison and says, And he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So they were having their prayer meetings in people's homes. And Peter knew it. He knew to go there because that's where the church would be meeting. In 1 Corinthians 16, 19, there's several verses like this, but I want to use this one. Paul is closing up his letter to the Corinthians, and he says, The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Aquila and Prisca, or Priscilla as it says in some translations, had a church that met regularly in their home. And it mentions that several times. So the church did meet from house to house. They got together in smaller groups. And here's the verse we're gonna focus on today. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews. Okay, we're pretty sure it wasn't Paul. The writing style is very different, but, it's a, but the early church even recognized this as a book inspired by God. And the writer of Hebrews said this, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think this verse is very important because 
here's what the principle I'm going to talk about today is in a large church, we can't do this as well. We can't do this. It's, it's easier for us to slip by with things. But when we get into a smaller group, that's where we really find that we stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And we encourage one another to get ready for the things that God has for us in the future. So let's look at those together. First thing I see in there is stimulating one another to love and good deeds. I phrase this as we assemble for love and for connection. Now, that, I have to remind you, one of our main focuses of functions of a church is to be a vehicle for us to work together for the kingdom of God. And that means expressing love to each other and expressing love to a world that desperately needs to hear the good news about Jesus. But how can we express love for one another if we're not together? We see each other for an hour and a half and, and, or two hours on Sunday morning, and most of that is been with you all facing this way. You know, you're either looking at the, what the worship team is doing, rest we're singing, we're worshiping together, and that's important, but we're not connecting as much at this point. So really your connection time on Sunday morning is 30 minutes maybe, maybe for some, a lot less than that for some of us here. And we don't get that chance of showing love and connection to each other. And as you know, that as you've learned during COVID, seeing someone on a Zoom call or a phone call just isn't as good as seeing them in person. I love my mom. I talk to her at least every other day. But I go visit her because that's different than just having a phone call. It's different. It's better in person. And so when we connect to people in person, they're in our homes where we're seen and we can see others. It encourages us more. This passage says we're to do good deeds, and yes, we can do good deeds alone, but it's a lot easier to do good deeds with other people. And even if our good deeds are something we do individually, we still need the church there encouraging us, stimulating us to go out and do these good deeds and express love to others. Now, for some of you, the idea of getting into a small group for the purpose of love might freak you out a little bit. You might say, like, I don't, that just seems a little too touchy-feely. And trust me, guys, for a long time, I was that kind of guy. Okay? I was one of those guys that just could not even express feelings. I remember in my mid-twenties, I had the first time in my life a girl dumped me. Okay, now there were a lot of girls I broke up with, uh, don't get the, uh, Anthony, but it was mutual disinterest, okay? But it was the first time a girl ever dumped me, and I sat down and cried. I cried hard for five minutes, and then I was done. And I was like, that was it? That wasn't even worth it. And I didn't hardly learn to cry at all until the last few years, okay? And now you see me tearing up all the time in the pulpit. You don't know how much I cry. But, but that touchy-feely stuff was just like, eh, don't, really don't really want people to see me in a small group. I mean, I see me, and I don't like what I see. Do I want other people to inflict that on other people? But we still need to wind up doing it because it's a basic need that God put in us. One of the greatest illustrations of this was done by a man named uh, Harry Harlow back in 1958. He did this little thing with rhesus monkeys. And he took rhesus monkeys and he separated them at birth from their moms. And then he gave, put them in cages where, and I know this looks cruel, and I do, not, I do not condone this, but it did teach us something. He gave them two surrogate mothers. The one on the, as you're looking on your left, was one that was wrapped in terry cloth and was warm and cuddly. And that may not look that much to you, but to a baby rhesus monkey it did. And the other was just a wire frame. 
And what you don't see right there is that wire frame, though, had a place where a bottle with milk was in it. And here's what he said. The, the cold wire frame mother had nourishment, but the, the, the soft, fuzzy mom did not. And he said, invariably, the rhesus monkeys spent their time with the warm, cuddly surrogate mom and only went over to the other mom when their hunger was so bad they needed something to, to eat. What is that saying? That that need for connection, that need for warmth, that need to be connected to somebody else is a stronger need in those monkeys than they are in, in, uh, you know, than it is for food. And I believe it's the same way for humans, okay? That that need to be connected, that need to be known by somebody else is a stronger need than the need for food. And that's easy for us to say because probably most of us have not been truly, truly hungry before. But I bet there's many people in our congregation that have been truly, truly lonely and disconnected. And we need to be a place where they can find that kind of connection. I do believe God created humans with similar needs and drives. Why else would uh, people flock to cities? I mean, why do people live in Fresno? I mean, Fresno is, you know, it's, this, this is recorded, so I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, we all know Fresno, and we've chosen to live here for some reason. All right? Well, why do people live in urban areas? I think they want to be connected. In fact, the U.S. Census Bureau says that, would you believe it, 81% of the U.S. population lives in an urban area. Not suburban, not rural, but urban areas, 81% of our population. And the UN did a study that said by, the mid, by mid-century, two-thirds of the world will live in urban areas. You get that? Twice as many people living in urban areas as in rural or suburban areas because of that need for connection, that need to be with people. And... Um, you know, I, I, I'll skip. I, these other illustrations come to mind that I, I just had to have a quick conversation with the Holy Spirit about whether I should say them or not. All right. But so I've said that we went from monkeys to people in general. Let's go to church now, okay? I think it carries through the church as well. One of the things you're going to learn as you do this study is, is you guys, if you sign up for the small groups and get involved with it, you're going to talk about the idea that the church is an organization made of social beings. We're an organization but we're also a social organism, a living, breathing entity as such. And in the passage you're going to study in this small group, it says, just as a hand or foot cannot stay alive when it's severed from the body, neither can you stay alive spiritually when you're severed from the rest of the church. We are better together. Like Proverbs 27, 17 says it this way, I think is really great. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We are better together. We are stimulated to love more and do good deeds better when we're in a small group like that. Now, we get together for love and connection. We also need to get together in small groups for encouragement and direction. For encouragement and direction. That's the last part of verse 25. It mentions encouraging one another. Encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Yeah, I see you like my, my little illustration there, okay? A little piece of, a little block by itself is not worth much, but it takes many of them together to build a wall. So that's my, 
little, I, I, sorry, I love weird pictures that make you think of different things. So, all right, the focus here is on helping people grow in their Christian walk and preparing them for the day that is drawing near. Now, we don't know exactly what that day is. The writer didn't tell us for certain. The first thought we most, in fact, most evangelical Christians have is that that day is the day when the Lord returns and uh or the 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 rapture or the or the returning of jesus when when the when the when the you know righteous are 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 resurrected and the and the sinners are cast to the lake of fire and that and that may have been what he's talking about possibly what he had in mind that day is still coming we we may disagree about how it's going to look but that day is coming jesus is coming back to make everything right okay in fact I'm, i'm pretty Imagine that all of us have it wrong in some way. I think it's going to be so surprising. Go, oh, that's how it worked, okay? But it's coming, and we need to encourage ourselves for that. Or the writer could have been thinking already of just the persecution that's going to come. He may have already seen the, the, the rift that was coming between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, and that became to be a big problem in the early church between the Jewish community and the, and the Gentile Christians. And he may have seen the persecution that was coming there, or he may have already seen evidence of some of the persecution that was going to come from the Romans because they, in AD 70, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and just laid waste to everything there. During, around that same time, a little bit before that, the Emperor Nero had cast, had, had, or before that, Emperor Claudius had cast out all Christians. Aquila and Priscilla that we mentioned earlier, they had been kicked out of Rome because they were Jewish Christians. And they had been kicked out at that point. And they know the Emperor Nero that, that actually blamed Christians for the burning of Rome and was known for, for lighting his garden at night by uh, putting Christians on, cru- on crosses and then dipping them in oil and setting them afire to light his garden at night. So he may have seen that kind of thing coming. We don't know exactly what he's talking about, but we do know this, that there is harder days coming. We don't know what those are going to look like. I mean, for goodness sakes, it's, you know, um, you know, economists are saying that, um, that there's, you know, a 173% chance we're going to have recession this year. And maybe that's some of the harder days that we'll face. Now, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm one of those who agrees that, if, that, that economists have accurately predicted seven of the last two recessions. And so, um, or you say if you, if you put, took all the economists in, 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 in the world and laid them end to end, they still wouldn't reach a conclusion. Um, so who knows whether they're right or wrong all right but hard days are coming there may be more days of persecution coming against the church who knows I don't know for sure but part of that is but we're all going to face struggles and trials there are people in our church that are facing struggles and trials I know we've got illnesses I know we've had deaths in families I know we've got broken relationships I know we have people that are that have lost jobs, struggling financially, that kind of thing. And so our small groups are a place where we find support and strength and encouragement to face the struggles that we're going to find. And I thought of two images as I thought about this kind of image, okay? The first one, a little humorous. Um, Some of you might remember the Peanuts comic strip, okay? I remember one, I don't know why this stuck in my mind, but Lucy is talking to her little brother, Linus, and he says this, these five fingers individually they're nothing but when i curl them together like this into a single unit they form a weapon that is terrible to behold now some of you may have said that to a younger sibling or had that said to you by a younger sibling and i'm 
Lucy is not our, not our uh, primary theologian here, but the principle is still right, that we're out there individually, we're not as much. But God has put us into a church to make us into a hand, maybe not a weapon to hit, but a hand to reach out and grasp and pull somebody out of the darkness they're facing, to pat somebody on the back, to give them encouragement when they need it, all right? To, 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 to lift them up when they're struggling or just to let them know that somebody is there with them. That's what a one finger can't do that, but a whole hand can. In fact, that's why we talk about the church being a body. A whole body can do a lot more. That's the first image I think about, why we need to be connected together. The second one, you saw this, if you read our newsletter, and we know that about half of you open it, the other half don't, and that's okay, that's fine, but is that of a redwood tree? And I got an image here of a redwood tree, and if you've been to Muir Woods or to, to Redwood uh, National Park or anything like that, you know a little bit about these redwood trees. Redwood trees are the tallest trees in the world, growing up over 300 feet high in some cases. But their root system is pretty shallow. It only goes seldom more than five or six feet underground. It go, but it goes out. In fact, redwood trees' roots can travel out 200 feet, as, as much as 200 feet in any direction. That covers four acres of land if you go 200 feet in each direction. And you can see from this picture that if their roots go out that far, their roots have to intertwine. And their roots, roots become intermingled. And what that does means when a strong wind comes to blow it over, though its roots are not deep, because when it tries to blow over, its roots are held in place by the roots of other trees. And redwoods are much able, better able to stand the, the torque, a tall tree like that, the torque of the wind pushing on that tree is enormous. But it keeps them from falling over because they are connected. Their stability increases during strong winds and during floods because they're connected. In the same way, we as Christians are stronger when we're connected. Uh, I got another verse of this. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 to 12, talks about this a lot. I love this passage. It says, Two are better than one, for they have a good return for their labor. For if, e if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. We get that, right? In fact, let me pause there. You read stories sometimes of, of somebody who, who, who passed away out in the woods or whatever. I think how sad it is. We all think about it, how sad it is for somebody to die alone. Or somebody who's fallen, somebody's not there to help them. And that's a, you, so you get that principle. If you have people with you, if you fall down, there are people to lift you up. It goes on to say, but woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. And that's a great reminder there of how we are to be together. Now, church, we're living in a time and an area where the church does not have a lot of respect. It just doesn't. It's getting tougher and tougher to follow the path of Jesus. Now, I say that recognizing that we're not facing the persecution that people do in other countries. I'm not here to say, poor us, it's so hard to be a Christian here. No, this is probably the easiest place in the world to be a Christian. 
So I can't really bemoan that, but it is getting tougher and tougher. We're getting less and less respect. Again, if you think about in movies and in television, if there's a Christian portrayed, they're either the idiot, or they're a nice but clueless person, or they're the murderer, okay? That's, you know, it's, it's one of those things there usually. In fact, I heard a comedian recently talking about, this comedian, raised Catholic, was talking with his wife about, about the Lord's Supper, and they're talking about Da Vinci's painting of the Lord's Supper, and uh, of the Last Supper, yeah, and um, she talked about, yeah, Jesus sitting there behind the turkey, and she went, turkey? And uh, the whole point of it was, she said, what do you think they were celebrating there? And she went, Thanksgiving? How clueless people are about Christian things nowadays and what it means. And for a lot of, even Fresno, you say Jesus saves, they think that means he has a bank account somewhere. They don't understand what that means. And so it's getting more and more difficult, but more and more important for us to be out there and to take risks and do express that love and that good deeds and prepare for what is coming in the future. It's getting tougher and tougher to follow the path of Jesus. And we're, when you're out on your own without the church and you fall down, who is there to pick you up if not your church? When the wind of culture tries to knock you down, are your roots intertwined with other Christians in a way that will help you stay upright and healthy? When you face a difficult task in your journey through life, are you just one finger trying to do the job alone? Or do you have a whole hand or a whole body to help you make it through to get that job done? Now, you might be tempted to say, hey, I come to church regularly on Sunday morning. That's getting it for me. But it doesn't cut it. It's too easy to hide, even in a medium-sized church like ours. You can slip in and slip out too quickly, too anonymous, anonymously. Um, I said this, and I, I, again, I don't want to besmirch our greeter team because I was, I was not making it easy on them. But the first two times I came to this church, before you guys called me, I came to check it out. And the first time I was here, I slipped in and out without a single person saying a word to me. Okay? Well, except Debbie did catch me outside, and she, but she knew I was coming, and she wanted to know if that was me. All right? That was it. But so she did. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not criticizing our, our greeter team, okay? Because I, you know, I didn't, I didn't look, but, but think about it. There are a lot of people come to our church that may not want to connect to somebody right now. That they may, and so it is possible to slip in and out and not, not really say anything or there's always possible of slipping in and out we have several people saying how are you doing and you answer fine and that's the end of the conversation by the way church i'm gonna let you know too if you're asking somebody how they're doing they say fine fine's an acronym feelings inside not expressed so just so i want to say if somebody says they're doing fine take that as an invitation to dig a little bit all right they'll stop you if they don't want you to but take that as an invitation to dig a little bit about what fine means for them so I just don't think it happens that way. And to do that, I want to tell you a little story of something from, from one of my former churches. Uh, I've mentioned it before, my, the, the Korean church I pastored. That was where a lot of my stories come from because uh, just it, 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 God was blessing during the time that we were there. So I'll tell you the story of John Kim. Now, John Kim was a teenager at our church. And um, how I discovered John Kim is I was going over our small group roles, and I noticed that a girl in one of our small groups had a brother named John Kim. 
I'm like, I don't know this guy. I'd been to church a year and a half, maybe, something like that, and I still didn't know who this John Kim person was. And again, it wasn't a lot, big, lot, the church was a little bit bigger than our church, but not a lot. And so I, you know, I asked people around, I was like, yeah, I think John's been around some. I don't know when he was here last, what was going on, you know, it was hard to, so I decided to do something that you, you wouldn't dream of doing now. I actually went out and visited John Kim. Now, I know a lot of you would be like horrified if the pastor showed up at your door unannounced. But back in those days, people were nicer and we could do that, okay, and less fearful. So I went and found John's address and I went to no, go knock on the door and uh, a teenage boy came to the door, Korean kid, and uh, he said, hi, pastor, how are you doing? Now, using my brilliant powers of observation, I took a risk. And I said, hi, John, I'm fine, how are you? And it was John, fortunately, okay? I was, no, I was taking a risk there, but I had no idea who he was. But John knew me. He knew I was the pastor of the church. I'm like, how did he know that? What I've come to discover is John had been coming to worship services regularly, once, twice a month at least. But the church was a more of a long shot kind of church. It was a little bit further to the back than it is here in, in, in our church. And John would slip in late. And then as soon as church was over, he'd slip out and he was gone. And didn't connect with anybody. And John had been doing this for a while. But as I met and talked with John and encouraged him to get involved in our small groups, John started coming to small group and started um, attending regularly and became more regular at our church. And about six months after that, John gave his life to Jesus. He'd been hearing the preaching. He'd been hearing all this stuff, but wasn't ready to make a commitment until he got into that small group. And a few months after that, John began serving on our greeter team at the church, making sure that less people were able to do what he did at our church, or slip in and slip out. Now, here was my point of this. You can come to church, slip in and slip out, and maybe you've worshipped, maybe you've grown some in your Christian faith, but if you've not connected with people, you've fallen far short of what God wants from us. I don't want a church full of former John Kims. I want a church full of people who are challenging each other to grow and learning more and helping each other and working together as a body and not just an ind individual organ out there all by yourself. So again, we're talking about small groups today. And so, you know, and I know that's, that's been, it's been like an infomercial info today, I know. But we are looking straight at what's out of the scripture here about this. So here's what I want you to think about today. First, if you haven't come back to church in person, please consider doing so as soon as possible, if at all possible. And I'm not talking to you guys here in the room right now, but those of you watching online, we are ready for you to come back. Don't take just the easy way out and go online, but be involved regularly. And join us here and be a part of what God is doing at Fresno Church. Second, I want to encourage you guys all to sign up for a small group. Our ushers have, our greeters have a small group sign-up card. Now, again, I don't normally do this in the sermon, and Jeremy's going to talk more about it, but I want to tell you right now, they're only going to meet for six weeks. It's, a, it's sort of a, a, a test period, okay? It's because uh, it's I know it's easier for some people to say, I, I'll make a commitment for six weeks. It's about an hour and a half. Do you know what an hour and a half is? That's 1%. That's less than 1% of your week. That's less than 1% of the time God has given you. That we're asking you to commit to people during the week. And we've got, we've got five small groups signed up. We've got a Monday night, a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, 
a Saturday morning, and then a Sunday morning here at the church. Now that one's uh, just ladies only. We're going to try to do a, a women's only group at that point. Uh, if you're a guy and you really want to be a part of that, you got to go talk to the leaders. I, but all I was told was ladies only, and that's we understand that. But we want you to sign up and be, be involved with that. Uh, a little bit later, we have a QR code. So if you'd rather do it online, there's a QR code on the screens here in a little bit to help you do that. But I want you to really consider being a part of one of the small groups for the reasons we talked, to encourage each other, to express love to each other, to receive love from each other, to stimulate one another, to live a better Christian life, and to encourage each other in preparation for what God has planned for us next as a church. So please consider signing up for a small group today. The first ones, they start this week. Okay, so consider that. Third, I want you to actually be willing to open up your heart to people in your small group. That idea of being, of seeing and being seen. That's one of the crazy things. One of the things, I'll, I'll limit one of my failures and struggles in my marriage. I love my wife and would do anything for her and did my best to serve her. There were a lot of times that she said to me, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm seen by you. And we need to have groups where people go and felt like people saw who I was and accepted me where I am and encouraged me and loved me and I was able to do the same thing to them. That's what these small groups are about. It's, a connect, it's, it's another level of work besides what we do here in our worship service. So again, that may be scary. And I'll even tell you this, if you go and you go a couple of weeks and you're just like, this is too much for me, I can't handle it, let me know, we'll figure out something else for you. Okay? So it's not like you're, you're signing a, you know, a contract and you're going to have to pay a penalty if you don't manage this. And then fourth, and I always want to put this in here, so we talked about this, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've not given your life to him, recognizing the sacrifice he did for you on the cross, I want to encourage you to talk to me after the service. Or if you want on your connection card, you can just write down, I want to talk to the pastor or a leader about, about knowing Jesus. And we will follow up. If you give us contact information, we'll follow up with you this week. So again, as we get ready to close here at this point, just remember, coming to worship is great. But an organism needs to connect. And that's what we're talking about today. I also want you to know we're not going to criticize you if you can't commit right now. This is not going to be a you're a good Christian, you're not a good Christian kind of thing. But I want you to be praying about this. Listening to what the Holy Spirit's saying to you, is it time for you to connect more with this church so that we can do a better job of being the people God has called us to be? Let's pray. Father, you are glorious and you are wonderful. You have blessed us in so very many ways, Lord. And Lord, I want to ask you right now that you would speak to your people very clearly, very powerfully right now, Lord. Help them to know what they should do about small groups. Father, help them to know what they need to do about opening up their life to people here in the church, to connecting. And Father, whether we use small groups or whatever, Father, I just pray that you will help our church be an organism, a body that glorifies your name, strengthens your people to serve you better, teaches us to love you more, and glorifies your name throughout Fresno. In Jesus' name we pray.